0: This is the Daily Roll Call Podcast, talking Tennessee with Kathy Henners.
1: Welcome to the Daily Roll Call Podcast. I'm your host, Kathy Henners, along with our producer, Bobby Curley, today. Every day the anti-police rhetoric grows as more radical activists and organizations, of course, are calling for defunding the police or types of reform that do nothing but further tie the hands of our law enforcement. Most people do not know what goes into police training uh, between the months of academy learning and then hours of in-service training. So one thing civilians don't know or hear about is how officers uh, come to a level of force depending on the situation. And here to discuss this uh, again this morning is Sergeant James Smallwood from the Nashville Metro Police and also the Fraternal Order of Police. Hey, James, welcome back.
0: Hey, thank you for having me.
1: You know, so many people assume, um, you know, we see this on TV, and I think that's where most people learn about the police, that police officers just, you know, unholster their weapon and use it, uh, you know, whenever they need to, which is really the farthest thing from the truth. Can you break down and explain uh, what the use of force continuum is for for law enforcement?
0: You know, uh that's a good point that you make there that folks think that officers are just jumping to uh, that, res- that level of force and resorting to that with everything they do. And, and quite frankly, the last thing a police officer ever wants to have to do is to draw their weapon. Uh, we would love to, to survive a 30-year career with ever, without ever having it to come out of our holster. But the reality is we know that one day we will have to draw it out and we will have to, to um, use that as a, a tool uh we may never have to we may go through an entire career without firing our weapon but that is a tool that we use to make sure that ourselves and the community that we serve are protected um we we have what is called a use of force continuum and we have it's a scale that we have to progress through and make determinations as to where we can enter in and meet levels of resistance so if we are dealing with somebody who is an agitated individual and uh, they are using something called uh passive passive resistance against a police officer we have to meet that level of force with, um, with passive levels of force that are, are um, equal or mirroring to the resistance that we're getting from a suspect. We cannot escalate beyond to a different level of reasonability in the force continuum. So it starts with passive, passive resistance, active resistance, um, and then you, you proceed on into the less than lethal um, uses of force like your sprays and your tasers which will allow you to deescalate a situation uh, without having to go hands-on with somebody. And then beyond that, you have uh, uh, hard, empty hand control, which is using your palm strikes. And, 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 you know, that's when you find yourself in a palm strike situation or hard, empty hand control situation, You are having to engage with a suspect who is actively and physically resisting you. So they are striking you. They are attacking you. And you have to meet that level of force with something that's similar and mirrors their level of resistance. Um, Beyond that, you've got batons and, of course, lethal force, which is firearms or something equivalent. And the only time you can go to lethal force is when you or somebody in the community uh, is at risk and may be subject to lethal force from the suspect. So to say that we are jumping to um, that, that immediate level of force, which is firearms or lethal force, uh, it's not reasonable by any stretch of the imagination. Our folks are, are highly trained in use of force, and they understand that they can only enter the continuum at, at the same level or a range of level in similar response to what the individual on the other end of that incident is doing to us or the community.
1: What I find really amazing, though, is that people forget about those beginning stages of of fights, basically. Um, You know, once the communication breaks down and there's that first punch that, you know, a suspect may throw at you and and connect with you, uh, you know, the fight kind of is on. And I think people miss that part of it. They miss the the, you know, the rolling on the ground. And at that point, you know, you're trying to retain weapons, you're trying to retain, you know, your equipment. And so, you know, the fight kind of doesn't get fair at that point. You know, if somebody's wrestling on the ground with you, you need to do what you need to do to restrain that subject, to get that subject under control. And those are the things I think people are missing. Of course, you know, today the media doesn't help. The media portrays it jumping from communication automatically to using deadly physical force. But when you look at the the situation that happened in Atlanta, um, you know, with the taser being used now, you know, that's one thing I want to ask you too, is people use the term stun gun. And, you know, I, I've kind of corrected people that the taser is a brand name. It, It is a different, you know, it's not what people Think about when you think a stun gun you know how you run up to somebody it has that ability but can you explain to people what the difference is and what level of force where that the taser falls on that on that level?
0: Uh, yeah so the, the difference between a stun gun and a taser essentially is a stun gun um, is a, a tool that civilians use um, and it requires person-to-person contact you have to be within reaching distance and you can actually touch that suspect and uh, And cause some sort of physical pain towards the individual, but not not a level of lethal force uh, the taser the difference between that and the taser that police officers use on the street is uh you can use those at, at a certain distance, and the uh, the the potential or the the point of deploying a taser is not to cause physical pain while it's not comfortable uh, the whole purpose of it is to uh, disable motor functions temporarily. So it will actually lock your muscles into place so that officers can come in and effect an arrest without there being a physical fight. Uh, So when a individual uh, poses a threat to officers and they have shown active aggression and they've shown that they wanna be physically aggressive with an officer, um, that a suspect uh, is is not listening to lawful commands, and it's very evident that this is going to be a fight instead of a, a lawful compliance and and um, and not an issue for officers. An officer can deploy a taser; it will temporarily disable the motor functions of or the muscle functions of the individual that they deploy the taser on. Uh, they're in five second intervals, and at that point, an officer can move in, effect an arrest, put the subject in handcuffs, and at, after that five second interval it's over. Uh, it's, it's not a pain compliance device. It's a device to, to seize motor functions and seize muscle functions so that we can affect an arrest without further incident.
1: I can tell you I was the guinea pig for uh, an academy class being the person that was shot, um, you know, with the taser. And it has got to be the worst Charlie horse in the body that that one can experience. I mean, it's a very effective tool for doing that, um, but I got to say, it was it was mighty painful. And I think a lot of people get the wrong impression, you know, that that it's something that affects the the heart or it can kill you. And you know, I don't think they understand that we only use it within a few seconds. You know, you know those second intervals but it it is a very painful experience, that's for sure. Now, as far as when we're seeing the protests um, down at the capitol, um, you know we're we're not really seeing those things being used. I think a lot of people have said, you know, we look like we're in the military, uh, you know, during protests and things like that. And I don't think people understand what that equipment, you know, from the shield to like you say the baton or the asp and and what what purpose that serves you know they say oh you look material you look so military and we're only peaceful protesters can you explain to people why you know we use those materials and, and those that equipment when we do uh, face protesters you know why is that stuff used
0: sure so uh you know for years especially here in nashville officers have approached uh, protesters with a softer look, with uh, uniforms and and not riot gear. And uh, even up until the May 30th protest slash riot, that's how we approached that. Um, It was very evident that the folks in that crowd wanted to escalate that into something that was not peaceful. And uh, the police department was forced to react. And anybody that's saying, you look too militaristic, there's no riot here, why are you in riot gear? They're simply trying to deflect from the fact that they have actually committed acts of violence and destruction against officers, the community, and the city, so that we will soften back down and they can take advantage of that situation. When people are launching bricks and rocks and bottles and bolts and explosive devices and commercial-grade fireworks and mortar shells at officers who are standing in line doing absolutely nothing other than watching protesters and trying to keep them off of a building or off of the community, um, yeah, it's absolutely appropriate that we deploy officers with pads, with protective equipment, with with helmets, with shields. Because if somebody throws a rock at an officer and it hits them in the helmet, that could be a catastrophic injury. So, yeah, or I'm sorry, if it hits them without a helmet on, it could be a catastrophic injury. So they need to be wearing a helmet. They need to have a shield. These are not military-grade items. They are protective devices. They allow us to defend ourselves when people are attacking us. So anybody that's saying, well, you look too militaristic out here with a shield or a helmet on. uh, Frankly, we are trying to defend ourselves because people have attacked us. And any anybody that's saying they look too militaristic, they need to dress down is merely trying to deflect from their own actions so that we will reduce our level of appearance and compromise our own safety. And that's not acceptable in any realm of any kind of situation right now.
1: Absolutely. You know, and that seems to be the culture um, that's being cultivated out there right now is that, you know, this, this certain look that we have to have to appease people. You know, I find it just aggravating and frustrating, as I'm sure you do and and the guys that are on the street do. Um, You know, there, there are some pieces of equipment, though, that we haven't seen deployed uh, in Nashville. And so a lot of people have said, why are they not deploying, like, for instance, the water hoses, which are extremely effective? Um, And then there's, you know, I can't remember what the actual name is, but it's the loud audible device that sends the, and and I think Nashville does have one that sends kind of like this horrible, horrific, very high tone that hurts ears. Um, You know, why aren't we seeing those devices used yet?
0: Um, I'm not sure on the water hose, uh, method. I'm not sure that we're trained in that. I'm not sure that the the department, um, could deploy that method. I I just don't know. And it'd be very difficult for me to try and speak as an authority on that, but I I don't recall that ever being part of any kind of training we have. Um, you know, the, the uh, audio devices are certainly, um, a tool that I think are available to to the Nashville police department, but we have to meet every set of circumstance with uh, the equal and reasonable amount of force. And we have to determine whether or not that one would be equal and reasonable and would be effective in some situations. And if it would cause more harm than good, then probably not something we wanna deploy. Uh, Again, I'm not the authority on those two levels of force, but uh, certainly if we were trained and it was adequate, I think you would see the department deploy them uh, if they thought it would be an efficient way to, to manage things.
1: And exactly what you're saying, though, James, is what the public needs to hear. They need to know, you know, the levels uh, that that this these devices are acceptable and are used. And because I think so many times people just are are assuming that what they see on TV is is reality for law enforcement, and it really isn't. And and you know, we're we're not getting a fair shot here at, at you know being able to tell people. Uh, what it really feels like to stand in a line with uh, somebody in your face or spitting in your face and the control and the restraint that it takes. And, and you know, when I look at the, the state police down at the Capitol now, um, you know, I, I dare somebody to want to be in your position. I dare someone that wants to stand in the heat, and the sun and, you know, during this this weather that we're having with these smelly, young punks, basically that are just constantly in your face. So I, I thought that this was an important thing to bring to the public, to the listeners, um, you know, so maybe they can understand and get a grasp on, uh, you know, how it all works, you know, the training and whatnot. Of course, you know, there are people that are still going to damn the police, um, but I think it's a very effective tool, uh, you know, for you to come on and to explain these things. And so I do appreciate that you've done that. Um, Today, we heard uh, there's another officer killed in the state of Washington. Uh, one is still in the hospital. They're not sure of his condition at this point. Um, you know, this seems to be a daily occurrence, you know, where we're seeing law, law enforcement officers just flat out ambushed, attacked. And, you know, I know that the the whole culture right now is so anti-police, but What do you think the answer is to that? Is it training our kids to comply rather than resist? Um, You know, what do you think the answer is to help stop this violence against us?
0: Well, you know, I I think what's important here is the way that children are learning to, to work through society. I saw a video yesterday of a very small child, maybe six, seven years old, uh, standing at a protest line with his parents, the officers were about 10 feet away, and uh, this crowd is chanting something, and this very young child is putting both of his middle fingers up in the air and pointing them at police officers. What level of disrespect for normal society do we have if we're teaching our children to do that to police officers? That's absolutely disgusting. You know, in McAllen, Texas, we just lost two officers because of a, a ambush set up call where somebody called the police and they ambushed them as soon as they arrived and two of these officers lost their lives in the line of duty serving the community and one of the officer's daughters posted online a very heartfelt uh mourning post for her father she lost her father who was serving the community as a police officer and she wanted to mourn him publicly and say how good of a man he was and people posted behind her uh, replying to her comment vile and disgusting and abhorrent Mm. comments about how they were happy he was dead. What kind of society are we facing where the young people of our communities are happy to see law enforcement officers dying in the streets? What kind of leadership are we seeing where there's nobody standing up, nobody standing up in the public eye saying, these people are public servants, they are good men and women, and you are judging them based on the way that they look rather than the content of their character. And we all need to sit down at the table and understand each other's perspectives, instead of throw vile and disgusting comments back and forth and only serve a purpose of separating even further rather than coming together. While we are actively building bridges into our communities, these folks are actively trying to figure out ways to destroy them. That is absolutely insane. Yeah,
1: it is, and it's really sad to hear that. Um, you know these these kids you know, are growing up without a mom or a dad and, um, you know, due to being killed because of the profession that they chose. And then to hear the disrespect and, and the disgraceful comments is is really hard. And there again, you know, people don't, don't get that. You know, um, I just can remember, you know, once I got on the police department, I lost a lot of friends because people don't want to hear Um, what we have to say, whether it's about society in general or how we were treated on a particular call, you know, so you lose, you kind of lose people along the way, you know, you do have your family structure that supports you greatly, Uh, but it's a, it's an interesting profession. I, I mean, it's, there is nothing like it. It is, it is just a job that can isolate you, can abandon you sometimes. I mean, it's a very difficult job. Uh, it can be fun at times. It certainly is gratifying at times. Uh, but overall, it's it's a very difficult profession to choose. And I'm sure I think we touched on this the last time. Recruitment numbers are down because, like you said, nobody wants this job right now. Um, but what are we seeing as far as retirements go? Are you seeing in your department? I know New York City had a it had a record week uh, this past week with over 500 officers between. I think it was between May and then. July 6th or something, you know, record numbers of these guys retiring. Are you seeing that too in, uh, in your department?
0: Well, you know, there's no question that this profession is the most noble profession in the world where an individual can make the decision to come in and serve their community. They can pin a badge on their chest and become a public servant and know that the last time they hug their families and leave the home may be the last time they see each other. They willingly go out into the community to try and protect those who need it the most, to try and make our community safer and stronger. Absolutely, without a doubt, people who choose that profession, especially in today's environment, they should be praised. They should be honored. They should be respected. And because they are not, this is absolutely the most noble profession and people that continue to choose to do it, uh, we, our hats should be off to them. Uh, yeah, we're seeing across the country, we're seeing numbers spike where folks are turning in for pensions and getting out of the profession that they've just, they've had enough. They've, they've become to a, to a point where they're fed up with the fact that they are standing protest lines day in and day out and they're being degraded and cussed at and things are being thrown at them and threats are being made on them and their families. And they've just, they've just made a determination that this is all I can stand. Uh, like you mentioned, in New York City, they had a, had a spike that the city themselves could not handle. While people are calling for, for defunding the police, leaders are, are remaining silent. Political leaders are remaining silent, not saying a word. But when the police make the decision that if you don't want us, we're going to leave, like in New York City, where they had a huge spike in pension applications, the city throttles it back and doesn't allow them to actually leave. So lead from the front speak what you believe, stop acting like you're trying to appease folks because it will backfire in the long run. Here in Metro, I'm not sure what the numbers are. I know we've seen a rise in inquiries on, on what it would look like if folks left, what their pensions would look like if they leave early before their uh, 25, and 30 years are in. I know we're seeing uh, uh, several folks put in for uh, retirement or resignation. And, um, and I suspect that we will see that continue to rise as this environment and this climate continues in the way it is. If we don't turn the corner and get back to uh, respecting the way a normal society should operate, respecting those who are willing to serve their community, I think you're going to see that, that number increase. And that's a very dangerous place to be for our communities.
1: And as far as the leadership goes, you know, we are seeing that in New York City is a prime example of that between the governor of New York and certainly the mayor of the city of New York, uh, is disgraceful. You know, I mean, there's, there's allowing, you know, Black Lives Matter to be, you know, painted on, on a major thoroughfare in New York City in front of Trump Tower. Uh, I get, you know, trying to message the president, but the disrespect is at an all-time high. I've never seen anything like this before. And like you say, I, I really hope that we can get back to the old normal. Uh, I don't like to use the term the new normal. I, I don't find that acceptable whatsoever uh, for our law enforcement. Um, but it's, it's really a shame. Um, you know, you, you do get into this profession wanting to help people. And then you, you find a lot of those people start turning on you. I'm I'm sure there's still communities. People appreciate you uh, and support you no matter what. It's very difficult, though, being in these communities, you know, with, with the older people um, that are scared to death maybe to speak out and to show their support, but they're there. And so I think, um, you know, I, I think that we have to turn that corner sooner than later. And I'm worried, though, because of the talk of defunding now, uh, maybe the next time we have you on, we'll talk about the BREATHE Act. I don't think people understand what that is. That is something that the squad, uh, the four congresswomen, the radical, you know, out there congresswomen have put together. Several pages. I started looking at it yesterday. It's it's ridiculous. It certainly would never pass the Senate as it is in its current form now. Um, And we also still hold the power in the Senate. But if we were to lose this, if we lose the presidency, if we start to lose the Senate, uh, something like this is very possible and dangerous. Um, You know, defunding the police is not an option. And and for people to think differently, uh, wait till it comes to your neighborhood. So, you know, maybe we can touch on that the next time. It's a very long uh, and lengthy proposal. It's filled with just stupid stuff. And uh, so maybe we can break that down at another time. Um, I appreciate you coming back on. Hey, Bob, did you have anything you wanted to ask?
0: No, I just uh, really appreciate uh, the the work you guys are doing and, uh, just know that there are a lot of people who you, you know, have you in their heart, in, uh, in their prayers, uh, and uh, we certainly hope that um, uh, uh, we, we do not see anything like we're seeing in other cities uh, escalate uh, where it's actually causing serious injury and death of our police officers protecting us. So we, we really appreciate everything you're doing.
1: You know, we do want to have you back again. You are a fountain of information. Uh, several comments just did come in on, uh, on the you know, interview we did last week. Um, people are going to be asking uh, uh, some questions to ask you in, in you know, future interviews. Um, uh, but it was a very popular uh, podcast, a very popular episode. So people are listening and they want to hear more. So we certainly appreciate your time and your effort and your knowledge. That's for sure.
0: Well, certainly. And if I, if I can leave you with these closing thoughts, um, you know, you, you talk about, uh, the, the breathe act and the folks that are writing that, but these are, these are sitting members of Congress, of the United States Congress, that are from states that uh, uh, are, are somewhat anti-police. And they certainly have an anti-police agenda, one of, um, which I'm sure one of those members is the one that referred to law enforcement as a cancer. And the other, I'm sure, is a member who has said that the rising crime in New York City is because families are going out to steal bread so they can feed their kids. Are you kidding me? People are out there shooting people blatantly without any concern for the recourse because they know there are no consequences for their actions. These are not people stealing bread for their families. These are people terrorizing our neighborhoods. They're terrorizing the hardworking men and women of America. And and frankly, the silent majority is terrified that they are going to be the next target. So that's why you're not hearing much from them. And we hear about Black Lives Matter, and certainly they do. And we, But we, you know what we never hear about? victims lives. We never hear victims lives matter. And we hear say their name, but we never hear people, especially here in Nashville, saying names like Paul Steele and Ashanti Posey, both juveniles who were shot by unknown assailants in the community by somebody who targeted them. We're not hearing people say their names. We're not hearing people marching the streets for that. Where is the victims lives matters marches? Why are we not taking to the streets for them? This is all about getting law enforcement out of the way so that anarchy can reign in our nation and terrorize our communities. And if you don't think that's what's the case, turn on the TV, see what's happening. See what happens when a guy in Washington, D.C. gets slapped in the face by a, group, by a mob in broad daylight and when police officers move in to arrest him for the assault, they're asking him, why is he being detained? What has he done wrong? This is all about deteriorating the public safety in our country. And if you're listening to this and you're part of the silent majority, you're going to have to get to the ballot box. You're going to have to stop this before it becomes worse.
1: Absolutely. And that is the huge, uh, you know, thing to think about right now. We have early voting starting soon. And then of course this upcoming election is probably the most important I've ever seen in my life. And so, uh, but that is going to help uh, because we do need our, leadership and we don't have that right now we don't have anybody fighting for anything um, including republicans so this is going to be an interesting uh, upcoming few months so again you know thank you uh and certainly thank you for your thoughts on on that because it does matter and um we we look forward to having you back again that is going to do it for this daily roll call podcast episode we hope you'll come back and uh, stay tuned
0: this is the Daily Roll Call Podcast, Talking Tennessee with Kathy Hinters.